on this Memorial Day weekend, we have cultural icons to talk about, Carl. I'm Lynn Venhouse, and this is my colleague, Carl Middleman. Hi, we- everyone. We'll talk to Jeff Myers about his Lion King experience. It's coming to the Fox. And then around minute 11, we'll talk to Andrew Kuhlman about the Karate Kid over at Stages St. Louis. And then around minute 23, we'll talk Maverick. Top Gun sequel. Around minute 33, Chippendale, Rescue Rangers. Around minute 49, we'll talk Obi-Wan Kenobi. And then around minute 53, we will remember Ray Liotta. We have exciting uh, a show today because we have two iconic musicals from film. And then we have a sequel to a pop culture classic. So we start with Jeff Myers, who is the dance supervisor for The Lion King, which is now on tour and will be at the Fox Theater starting on Wednesday. So this is really exciting, Carl, because I've seen it three times. How many times have you seen it? I've seen it three times in St. Louis and once on Broadway. Uh Uh-huh. Well, Jeff, Thank you for joining us. I know you have a very tight schedule. And the number one question is, where did you go to high school here? I know. That's the St. Louis question, isn't it? I went to Normandy Senior High. Nice. Uh, All right. Well, you have had such a distinguished career. And you have been in the Lion King production for many years. What still is so exciting about this that makes you want to every every you know tour every show what makes you want to still do this show well one um it's the number one musical in the world so um and i've only worked on one musical um i started out as a dancer in the show in 2003 and i became the resident dance supervisor in uh, 2013 and um I just love doing the show just because of the, the excitement that it brings to every venue that we go to. Um, like you said, you've seen it three times and it's a show that you can see over and over again. And every time you see it, you see something new. There's well, nothing Jeff- like it. There's nothing like it. And I always say the opening circle of life is the greatest opening of any Broadway musical. And it is just so incredible. So you've been with this for 20 years and uh, you have 134 people on the road with you and you have to have like five days to set up. What is that like being part of such an immense preparation? Yes, it's a huge show. Um, And um, as we would say, it takes a village. Um, Yes, we travel with um, our own musicians. We travel with the whole puppets department, hair and makeup. We have sound, um, you know, we travel with our own stage uh, management team. And then we pick up locals um, when we come into a town to to get the show up and running. Um, So I'm so excited for everyone to see this show and especially at the Fox. I mean, what a wonderful backdrop to see The Lion King. Now, Jeff, I have a question for you. When people are aspiring to be a dancer in The Lion King, how different is it? Do they rehearse with the appendages and the headdresses and everything on there? Or Because it seems like it would be different to dance with it on rather than practicing with it off. 
Um, yes, well, um, no, when you audition, you, you don't have to do that. Um, but it is a process. Um, I mean, when you join the show, yes, not only do you have to sing and dance and act, you have to learn puppetry. So right. it's um, each uh, performer gets anywhere from a, a month to possibly six weeks to learn the show, um, mainly because of that, you know, and, and I explain to the actors um, when they learn the show, uh, you're going to learn all this choreography and then we're going to put all this stuff on you and you're going to feel like, you know, you don't know <laughs> what to do, but it's the normal process. Don't get frustrated. You know, it's it, so it is. It's it's um, it's a wonderful opportunity um, for any dancer to, to get to do a show like this and um, to um, travel the country and, and excite people all over the U.S. What was your first role in the show? Well, when I joined the show, I was a dancer. I was in a dance ensemble and I was one of the gazelles in Circle of uh -huh. Life. So in Circle of Life, um, you know, each actor portrays a different animal that, that comes to see the birth of, of Simba. Um, and so, yeah, so I was a gazelle. And I later on became a swing, which a swing is uh, basically um, we have to cover all of the dancer roles in the show. So when I became a swing, I did know all five dancer roles. So I got to be a giraffe and I got to be a zebra and, and all the other characters as well. Uh -huh. I hear everybody has to be a hyena. Uh, well, the, yeah, well, most of the men are hyenas and most of the women in the show are the lionesses. So um yeah so there's always this battle between the the lions and and the hyenas yes <laughs> so but when this show started uh 25 years ago and julie tamor adapted this it was this was novel at the time but now the show being around for so long it, it's commonplace how do you keep the novelness of it being with such an established show well, the, the genius of Julie Taymor was she used a lot of sort of ancient theater um, techniques that have been around um, for hundreds of years that are still used as opposed because when the show came out, she could have easily done like video or, or things that, you know, are some kind of um, lighting that was sort of trendy or, you know, but what she did, she went back to using shadow puppets where you have behind a screen, you'll have three actors um, manipulating this puppet and someone holding a light projecting this on the screen, you know, and, and it's still, it's, it seems simple, but when you see it, um, it, it, it also forces you to use your imagination and fill in um, the sort of the gaps. She also created this whole thing about the double identity where the actor wears a mask on their head, but then you also see their face. And with some of these masks, they actually move at, at, at times. Um, so you go back and forth between, between seeing the actor's uh, expression as well as, as watching the puppetry of the mask. So um, like I said, it, it's, um, it's um, techniques that have been used for years that, that just don't, basically don't go out of style. You know what I mean? So it, it's, it's a really classic 
Um, and then the story, you know, I mean, it's such a great story as well. It's Shakespeare. Um, yes, exactly. <laughs> you can't go wrong with Shakespeare. <laughs> Talking about longevity. There you go. <laughs> well, there's two, there's a uh, 200 puppets in it, but what, what is so amazing about the visual splendor and such a feast for the eyes is how seamless it is. Like you get used to it right away. You get used to the whole uh, way it's styled and she's a genius. And I even like, excuse me, I even liked her. Spider-Man, which I know is not pleasant to say to a lot of people, but um, you um, had a long career with the Hubbard Street Dance Company in Chicago, which is legendary. So you, uh, you've had quite a career, and I know we, we can't talk to you too much today because you have such a heavy schedule, but that, congratulations on such a vibrant, active career. Is there any shout out to anyone in St. Louis who influenced your career? Um, oh, most definitely. It would be Gary Hubler, who was the um, dean of the dance department when I started dancing. I started dancing at Webster um, College back when I went there, but it's Western University now. Um, and um, I had no dance experience whatsoever. You know, I was a senior in high school and uh, got bitten by this dance bug and um, saw a chorus line and, you know, it's like it changed my life. Um, and uh, yeah, I went to Webster and had never taken a dance class and Gary took me under his wing and as they say, the rest is history. Um, and I always, even though I had this wonderful career with, with Hubbard Street, I always wanted to do a musical because that's what sparked this uh, love for theater and dance. Um, and so I, I auditioned for The Lion King um, back in 2002 and uh, got the show in 2003. And I've been uh, with the show ever since. So personally, I've been here for 19 years. I have one more year for my 20th anniversary, um, but this is the 20th anniversary of The Lion King at the Fox, June 1st through the 19th, I believe, right? It's going to well, be fantastic. And Hakuna Matata. Yes, Hakuna Matata. And uh, I look forward to seeing you. I'm, I'm going Thursday night, so I'm so pleased to, to be able to see it again. I'll be there too. Wonderful. Well, we're all very excited to be coming to St. Louis and it's in the summer and it's at the Fox. So I'm sure we're going to have a wonderful run. And um, I hear that ticket sales are, are going well. So um, um, we're really excited to, uh, to perform for you guys and I'm excited to be home. Excellent. Fabulousfox.com. You can get tickets and go see The Lion King. If you've never seen it, it, it is a spectacle to behold. Yes, you have to. And thank you and enjoy your a visit at home. Thank you. I will. My mom's very excited. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. All right. Thank you. We have such exciting news because this is the first time in Stages 36-year history we have a pre-Broadway tryout and a world premiere, and it is The Karate Kid. And we have associate producer here with us today, Andrew Cool. So uh, congrats on this big achievement. Thank you so much. We are all 
every single one of us at stages are just thrilled that we're able to bring this show here to St. Louis audiences for its pre-Broadway run. Um, there's really nothing like it. It's something that I, I, I can't believe that we have been given the opportunity to do. It's something I've been at stages 10 years now and Jack Lane and Michael Hamilton, our founders have been, this has been a dream of theirs for a very long time. And so it's something that we love to be able to bring to life for them. It's exciting. Well, when I talked to Jack in uh, March, he said because of the Kirkwood Performing Arts Center, this fabulous new space, that was one of the reasons that you could handle such a gigantic production. Because don't you have like 35 people coming from, or they came from out of town to work on the show for a couple months? There are more than 100 people actually here in St. Louis working on this production right now on stage, off stage, backstage. And I've got to tell you, it is one of the most talented teams of artists I have ever seen working together. And I mean, they're coming from all over the place, from New York, um, Japan, California, Chicago. We have artists really representing the world of theater working on this show. And they're all falling in love with St. Louis while they're here. So we love that as well. Oh, good. Even with up and down weather. <laughs> but, <laughs> hey, you know what? It's, you have like nine cast members from St. Louis, don't you? It's um in the show. There are two local actors in the production. Um, but one of the one of the funniest moments, and it wasn't funny at the time, but last Sunday, uh, as you guys probably remember, we had a a lot of tornado warnings yeah. here in St. Louis, and a lot of our team were not used to living through a tornado warning. So it was very interesting, and I do have to say, one of the most repeated lines I heard all day long was, "I guess we're not in New York anymore." Ah. Um, <laughs> so it was. Um, but what's so great about St. Louis and especially Kirkwood, the community in, in where our Kirkwood Performing Arts Center, the building where we perform is located, has been so embracive of this production from these amazing welcome bags that were put together represented by 30 different businesses that donated or contributed items to special cards that people can come in and be able to experience a lot of the independent individually owned businesses in the area people are really, they're so embraced by our community here. And I just love that they're getting to see St. Louis uh, for the first time through the eyes of this production and through the eyes of stages. Now, I have some questions about the Karate Kid because I was a teenager when the Karate Kid came out. So I was in high school. Sure. And what I remember about the Karate Kid is not, not just the story and, and the film, but the music of of the Karate Kid, you had you had the Banana Rama, you had the you had uh, the uh, You're the Best Around, you had the Survivor song. I'm guessing that Karate Kid the musical is not necessarily going to have a lot of those. We so actually the entire the music the lyrics were all created um, solely for this show by an amazing composer, Drew Gasparini. And the phrase I keep using is that the music is really the love language of this show. It is some of the most innovative and creative music that I've ever heard on stage. And I love all of the different influences that have come together to make it happen from musical theater to 80s pop hits. I mean, you really do hear 
the world of the show and it creates such an amazing audio backdrop to this production and then you get to hear this cast singing these numbers and it is it's exquisite I mean when you hear Kate Baldwin and John Cardoza singing some of these numbers you just sit there with your jaw slightly open you're behind your face mask so you don't have to worry about it (laughs) but you sit there and you get to watch this and hear this and it is it truly is an auditory as well as a visual spectacle as you're watching this entire show. Well, that is, that is so cool because uh, the original screenwriter of the film has written the book. Yes, yeah. Robert Mark Kamen, um, who is here in St. Louis as we speak, I saw him at rehearsal yesterday. Um, he was the original screenwriter of the Karate Kid series, and he is... Also, I mean, just a prolific screenwriter. Truly, he is. From the Taken series to several movies of the um, Lethal Weapon series. He also wrote the screenplay for a favorite of mine, The Fifth Element, um, with Bruce Willis and Gary Oldman. And he has transitioned this story from screen to stage. And it works so well it is just it's really really fascinating getting to work with this because there's a lot of a lot of the story is influenced by his personal life and so we have the original karate kid here in st louis working with us on this production well again that is really cool i i read that and then five of the people on the team carl have uh, uh, tony nominations for work that they have done uh, in the past year so five of them are up for tonys including jack lane the producer who is uh one of the producers of the revival of company and andrew when i forgot to mention is a broadway producer too because he was one of the producers on the prom a one-time Broadway producer. Let's not let's not go crazy. Yeah. Hey, but, 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 when this, but when this finally does make it to Broadway, you will be a producer, a, a multi-producer. And we'll, we we haven't made any of the determinations on who will be working on the Broadway production from here, but we do know that. Um, with stages being a partner, there's no doubt that we're going to be involved and just really backing the success of this production it's something that it's uh, a it, it, there's that phrase a board trustee of mine reminded me of this phrase the other day of it takes a village to raise a child and we've really got some amazing partners raising this show and bringing it to life from our producing partners at gorgeous entertainment our producers in new york um, to our the production team that's working on it here in st louis as well as at juniper street to our general management team at foresight and then you throw in these amazing actors and the incredible stages staff and um we're gonna raise a great child that's for sure Well, one of the things that the movie is known for is the catchphrases, the Miyagi universe. And I know you have been tight-lipped about some of the things in it, but I I got to know, is uh, wax on, wax off in it? Wax on, wax off is in it. I will give you that. I'm sure there's an entire song about it. Yeah, there's... (laughs) I cannot divulge any secrets. (laughs) And um, we wouldn't ask you to. But you may be heading in the right direction. I'll say that. Yes. And so... Without giving anything else away, uh, yeah. are, are there nods to the rest of the franchise in this, such as Cobra Kai or even the next Karate Kid or two and three? 
All, um, all I will say right now is Cobra Kai never dies, um, right. is to steal a phrase from our, from our lovely franchise. And that anyone who is a fan of the original film or is a fan of the Netflix series that's out right now will not be disappointed by what they see on stage. They're, they're, they absolutely won't. And you don't have to be a lover of the movie or the, the television series to fall in love with this show. It is a very universal story and the team putting it together has really told it in a way where you come in and you get the whole story in this package. Um, And I absolutely love that. But the universal themes of the show appeal to everyone of acceptance and anti-bullying and just becoming okay with who you are. I think that's something that so many members of our, our young community and students, things like that, this is a really important message for them to see is that I love the phraseology that I've been hearing from some members of the team is that real fighting is not done with the fists, but done with the head and the heart. And I think that message is so beautiful and so driven home by this production. Well, that's a perfect note to end on, Cara. (laughs) That's great. Andrew, I'm looking forward to this. When do we, you know, what is your timeline? Yeah, so we're actually, we had our first preview this uh, past Wednesday. So we run May 25th through June 26th at the Kirkwood Performing Arts Center. Tickets are on sale now at stagesstlewis.org or 314-821-2407, which is our- knowing the phone number. (laughs) Oh, I'm a producer. I got to do it. Come on. Exactly. Lynn knows me too well. I'm full of sound bites and phone numbers. That's what I do best. Um, But no, it's come out and see it. It is an incredible production. It is a coup for St. Louis to have something like this happening here in our community. And it proves that with all of the amazing- arts we have happening in this city. St. Louis is not a flyover, is not flyover country. We have one of the most vibrant artistic communities in this country, and we deserve for it to get some attention. And um, I I love to be a a part of that process of putting that spotlight on our community and the people that make our work happen. Well, that's fantastic. Andrew, thank you for being on with us today. And uh, we'll see you at stages. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. Thank you. See you. All right, Lynn, we've got we've got two major movies that are going to be out this weekend. Well, actually, one was out last weekend, but I wasn't here to talk about it. Uh, did you talk last weekend about Chippendale? We talked about no movies because we took wow. the whole talk about the Muni because the Muni has seven shows and <laughs> and the legacy of returning you know, it's just been, uh, Andrew, we didn't get to have time to get into it, but it's so exciting to have theater back and be so vibrant, as he said, and to put St. Louis on the map as as a place to be, uh, you know, noteworthy in the artistic community. So that's great. So what do we want to start with first? We, we want to start with the biggest movie in the history of the 2020s, which is not Spider-Man. It's going to be a movie I have not seen yet, but you have. But everyone in the world that has seen it says it, it lives up to the hype. Top Gun Maverick. Does that it is, live up to the hype? It does. And is it, it does, really that good? It is that good. And I was shocked because uh, <laughs> I go to these have things. low expectations. And you'd heard yes. everyone talking about it. 
Right. And it got a seven minute uh, standing ar- ovation at Con. That means and nothing. I know, but uh, it had uh, it has a 97% critics rating on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. And I'm one of those. And uh, the audience, 99%. So that's pretty spectacular. Um, I didn't wasn't the biggest fan of 1986 uh, original. Although I bought the soundtrack like millions of other people. Yeah. And, and, and th- that was weird because a lot of the songs like Great Balls of Fire and You Lost That Love and Feeling weren't on the soundtrack. It was I know. Berlin I, and Loverboy and a couple Kenny Loggins tunes. And I, I hear think, Kenny Loggins shows up right away. Right away. We go right into the danger zone. They cut into the chase. They cut to the chase. We go right into the danger zone. Uh, uh, they, uh, the the thing that will strike you about this is uh it's modern in terms of state-of-the-art technology the aerial flights are electrifying the uh but then there's this warm glow of nostalgia for the first one because they reference many people in it what is uh i think a very neat twist to the plot is the only one besides tom cruise returning for maverick is val kilmer and they incorporate his throat cancer situation into his character of iceman who's now an admiral and, and yeah, I, hear, uh, I hear he doesn't speak. No, no. Because and, he has throat cancer. <laughs> right. And it's very interesting how, how they work that in his big one scene, but he's an admiral. So he's, he sticks up for Maverick because Tom Cruise's character 36 years later is still a rogue. He is in trouble with the brass who is played by Ed Harris and our own John Hamm. Yeah. In a, in a different type of role, being a hard ass. And then we have the young bucks that are new and including Goose's son, who's played by Miles Teller. Now, hold they- on a second. I, I don't remember Goose. I thought Goose barely had a girlfriend in the first Goose one. Had, Goose had a wife, Meg Ryan, and they show scenes from the original with little Bradley, Bradshaw, mm-hmm. sitting on the piano at that bar and they have flashbacks to his youth but uh meg ryan's character has passed on in one line of dialogue they do that well goose so hold on hold on a second they mention meg ryan's character from top gun but they don't mention kelly mcgillis at all no that seems very odd to me well, they've moved on, and uh, Jennifer Conley is the age-appropriate love interest in this, which I find fascinating that they have no gratuitous love scenes. They have no soft porn shower scenes. Nothing in this. Uh, Jennifer Conley and Tom Cruise's character, Pete Maverick Mitchell, they have a past. Yeah, they, and- he, she's mentioned in the first movie. Well, the character is mentioned in the first movie. In fact, they took a throwaway line from the original Top Gun and created this character that Jennifer Connelly plays just for this. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, it works. And as you know, she's a very accomplished actress, Oscar winner, but also 
drop dead gorgeous, whatever age she's at. I mean, fifty one. She'll be fifty two in the fall in this in the winter. Yeah, she looks like a million damn dollars, as Letterman used to say. Uh, yeah, but so but Tom Cruise looks great too. He doesn't look like he's aged either. No, it is uh say what and he's you almost sixty. Say what you will about him, but he knows how to make entertaining movies. And he's still youthful, but the character Maverick is older, battle scarred conflicted because he's got his ghosts of the past including his best bud goose's death and so goose's son has a big chip on his shoulder so that is the crux of the conflict here because the mission is this uranium plant by some unnamed enemy that is in a very treacherous geographic location and they're going to have these Top Gun pilots, the best of the best fighter pilots trained at the San Diego school uh, used for this mission. And this mission is so dangerous that likely some of them will not come back from it. And the Navy's okay with that. So we have this huge, dangerous mission. And Tom Cruise goes back to the Top Gun school to be their instructor. Okay. And he's not by the book, which again infuriates John Hamm and uh, Ed Harris, but Iceman protects him. Okay. So that's why. So there's the, the story. What is, what is really nifty about this is the uh, Tom Cruise, well, first of all, he insisted Val Kilmer be in it. And even when Jerry Bruckheimer, the producer, was like, no, and Tom Cruise was like, yes. And so that's how they worked that out. But the screenwriter is Christopher McQuarrie, who uh, wrote the Oscar-winning screenplay to The Usual Suspects. Yeah, but and, it's, also, it's also Aaron Kruger, too, who yes. did uh, some of the Transformers and The Rings and also Eric Warren Singer. Right. And then Macquarie did two uh, Mission Impossibles with Tom Cruise. Ah. So, uh, yeah, so it's a it's a huge team there. Well, but I, Aaron, Eric Singer did uh, American Hustle. Right. So it's very clever. It's got it's got a playfulness about it. It's laced with humor. It throws back to the original in a unique way. And it has the emotional beats that you need. Max Boise, our colleague and friend, he said afterwards in the comment, he said, the young people make you care about them. So I think Tom Cruise gets out of the way a little bit. And sure, it's a star vehicle, but he knows to uh, let them have their day. Is this so, like one of these reboots, like Saved by the Bell, where they have the legacy characters in there, or even like The Last Scream, where they have the legacy characters in this, but they're letting the young stars take it if it goes any further? Yeah, I think so. I think that it makes it makes sense for another one. Uh, Glenn Powell, who was uh, John Glenn in Hidden Figures and has been on a ton of TV shows, he plays Hangman, who is Goose's rival, just like Iceman was was a Maverick's rival in the beginning. And you know how the the first movie was all about Tom Cruise is bravado. He had to learn how to do teamwork. Yeah, to survive that carries this through. He's teaching them to do this. 
And uh, that's interesting. And then we have in the modern day, we have a girl pilot, Phoenix. Uh, Bill Pullman's son, Lewis, plays the nerd guy, Bob, who that's his call sign, Bob, but his name is really Bob. So it's <laughs> kind of fun because they all have these, uh, you know, macho call, call us on like, you know, payback and, and, uh, well, Goose is a son, Miles Teller, his, his uh, call sign is Rooster. Ah, that's funny. Yeah. So, so it's interesting, but it's a remarkable, they have a lot of photos from the first film and, and uh, Anthony Andrews has this mustache that is very Anthony, Anthony Edwards. Edwards. I'm sorry. Anthony, Anthony Andrews is another. From ER. Yeah. Anthony Edwards has a mustache in the first one, which I totally forgot about. But he, but Miles Teller looks like him in this. And I didn't think that they bore any resemblance. So it's very interesting. But um, I don't know. The whole thing works. It's dazzling. The music is a big factor in it. Lady Gaga has the big finale song. Yeah. Uh, people, the preview audience went crazy for it they applauded throughout the movie they cheered it is going to be this huge crowd pleaser i think it's going to own the summer jim bass was saying i don't know i think thor might i said no because this crosses generations yeah and also thor is like movie 29 or 28 or 30 you know you have to, people are people are upset about dr strange i think Thor might get a hit because of Doctor Strange having to know previous stuff. This one, you only have to know one movie, and it seems you don't have to know a lot from it. No, because I thought, well, maybe I should have watched the first one, because I am a little fuzzy on it, but I think it picks right up. I don't think you have to know the movie, just like probably the musical Karate Kid. If you have just a kind of basic knowledge of it, I think you're good. But I think they made such smart moves here. The director is Joseph Kaczynski, and he's not well known, but he did the... He did Tron. Yeah, he did Tron Legacy. Tron Legacy. Tron Legacy is his first movie in 2010, and he did the Tom Cruise movie Oblivion, which mm-hmm. wasn't very successful. But yeah, but he, that was uh, that was based on his graphic novel, so he he wrote, directed, and produced it. So, well, he has technical prowess, so I will say that. So you have this emotional arc, uh, a, a really good story, and it didn't have to be that good because you know it's like an audience. Uh, ready-made, tailor-made for an audience, but the fact that it's so good, and I think that it will get nominated for some technical awards for sure. You know, but I now, was is is Cruz a lead or is he a supporting? No, he's a lead. Okay, I I, I just want to be sure because you know sometimes they they trick you with all that. Right, but no, it's it's a it's a um, definitely a lead and. Um, it has real, um, a real emotional heft to it, which I was surprised at. And well, also, Mark, Mark, go, go ahead. No, I was, but what? Go ahead, because Mark Cox was there. Mark, Mark Cox said there was a woman in front of him that was audibly, loudly crying after one emotional scene. It wasn't you, was it? No, I was but, back. I was in the very top last row because my nephew and I got there at six twenty. Mm-hmm. Oh, you were there early. Yeah, but not early enough. And oh, I wow. walked in 
Max. I walked in with Max. Max found a seat because he is by himself. I finally found two seats together, but it was a struggle to find two seats together. Well, and um, is it is it that emotionally moving? Yeah. Um, okay. But, I, but uh, we had radio winners. Y98 had a contest. Yes, and so they did. The, so it was first come, first serve, no uh, press section. No saved seats. Now, I have, two, I have two more questions for you. One, we always mention length of the film. This movie is two hours and 11 minutes. Does it feel like it is two hours and 11 minutes? No, it, it, it pretty it much moves well, along. Yeah, it moves along because I think the need for speed, you know, I think I think it just zips along and and it might be just a little towards the end there because they do have some surprise elements like it zigs when you think it's going to zag and uh, it keeps you on your toes. I mean, you know, sure, it's got some soap opera-y elements to it. And but this, so the, the first one was all soap opera-y. Right. And it's got some you know, predictable elements, especially towards Maverick being, you know, being the rebel and, uh, you know, all that. And now he's got to pay for, I guess, all that. But he's got a good team of, uh, of accomplished actors, Charles Parnell, Bashir, uh, that plays Hondo. I'm just blanking on his last name. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I, I was just really, it's very competently put together. And I think it's the clout of Tom Cruise that willed this movie into existence. Because, 30, Dean. because 36 years. Right. And my second question to you is, should you see this on the biggest screen possible? Yes. We saw it in the IMAX. It's at, it's at the Science Center this weekend, too. Yes, I definitely think it's that kind of movie. I'm hoping that it gets people back into the theaters because as you know, since the pandemic began in 2020, 2020, it's been a real struggle. This movie was delayed. It was ready in 2020. So to get people back into the theater, to me, it's a perfect summer blockbuster. And I think we need it right now because it's just been a really tough year well i will see it and i'm going to see it on the biggest screen possible but let's pivot now to disney plus and max Boise. i argued with him and i think i might be turning him around but he really really hated chippendale rescue rangers and i think once he takes himself out of it he will realize what a happy little movie this is might be the funniest movie of the year to date i was so shocked at this because max saw it first and he didn't much care for it and i saw it and i texted you both about i really like this it's so clever and fun and the voice work is just so inventive and and uh i guess inspired the voice work is inspired because andy sandberg and john mulaney play chip and dale and they play them as has been LA actors in modern day hollywood and the villain is will arnett which now, is hilarious it, it, it is it's funny but it's it's also these these are actors from the Chippendale Rescue Rangers show from 
the late 80s, early 90s, not they, they don't reference or even mention Chippendale bothering Pluto and Donald from the 40s and 50s. No, they don't. This is, they were crime fighters, detective agency. Their show gets canceled. Uh, Chip goes on to be an insurance salesman. And Dale, who craves the spotlight, is attending these fan, <laughs> these fan gatherings, fan expo, Comic-Con type things. And it is a hybrid of live action and animated. And we have tunes that are characters and I said people in their 30s and 40s will see their lives flash their childhoods flash before them because my children uh are 80s kids and they these these cartoon characters that are featured are are things we used to watch when when they were kids and I love that and I love how they'll wash them cartoon characters but there are there are a lot of cartoon characters from other franchises there are south park there's beavis and butthead there are muppets there are gumby like characters it's it's not just and they're skewing a a lot of disney stuff too i'm surprised that lonely lonely island got away with this because it is it is not just andy samberg it's uh Avik Schaefer is also in this, and there is a Jorma, the third Lonely Island member, has a cameo as well. Lonely Island is the group that uh, uh, Andy Samberg was with pre-SNL, and they brought the music video, the skits, the sketches to SNL, and they're Emmy-winning for the... (laughs) for some of the music videos, and the clean one is I'm on a Boat... Yes. And Jack Sparrow, but the one with Justin Timberlake, the Christmas present one, won the Emmy of all things. And Akiva was a director and a writer for SNL, Jorma Tacone. And so there, that right there will give you an idea of how clever it is. And then we have uh, the screenwriters, Doug Mand and um, who's the other one? Um, they're from Dan Gregor. Dan Gregor. They're from How I Met Your Mother. But I can't stress enough how clever and fun this is. Like, for instance, J.K. Simmons is the police chief and he's claymation chief putty. Yeah. And also there are um, there's a character that Seth Rogen plays, but he also plays uh, Pumbaa from The Lion King and Mantis from Kung Fu Panda and Bob from Monsters vs. Aliens. Because they're making fun of the uh, Beowulf, Polar Express, kind of dead-eyed cartoon stop-motion character that Seth Rogen as Bob, Bob again, is in this movie. And so the, the other Seth Rogen characters that are more animated than Bob make fun of him. It's, very, it's, a, it's a very meta joke that I had to explain to some people because they had not necessarily seen it. It's full of animated in-jokes. And in fact, I had to rewind a couple times to see, especially that laser scene with the animated types. And we have yeah. the Simpsons. Now, Disney asked us to not spoil things by revealing cameos and revealing some of the key uh, story points. So I'm not going to, um, I, I, I follow well, we've, that. We've been, we've been vague enough and generic enough. I, and 
the, a lot of people, a lot of things have been spoiled by, you know, the internet. And it's been out on Disney Plus for a week and a half. And now everyone on Disney Plus is just watching Obi-Wan Kenobi anyway. So they've seen this movie already. And they already know that it's very Roger Rabbit-esque where, by having all these different uh, franchises in it. And in fact, somebody from the Roger Rabbit world makes an appearance too. But let's be vague about that too. I know. I will say one thing that I found so clever is they make fun of Alvin and the Chipmunks several yes. times, which is just, it's just laugh out loud. I laughed out loud at some things that Will Arnett said, but what is really nice about the Chip and Dale characters is Sandberg and Mulaney are like an old timey comedy team yeah. that bickers with each other and i found that delightful it could have been if it could have been nick kroll if it was nick kroll it would have been they would have been repleting their uh broadway show and it just it's just just full of all these easter eggs the easter eggs are just the most fun but it's a valentine to uh animation and it's just uh just endlessly clever somebody but i was so surprised and i tell people this i said you wouldn't be you would be shocked at what my favorite movie last week was because and you tell people and then there's a lot of grandparents that are watching with their kids and they're getting it but i told my son charlie and my nephews it is your childhood. You have to watch this. Even if you did not watch Rescue Rangers, which was part of the Disney Channel afternoon, 1988 to 1990. It and the, the Disney afternoon, it wasn't on, it wasn't on the Disney Channel. It was the Disney afternoon in St. Louis. It was on channel 11. It was just, it was just, you know, to sell toys. Oh, okay. Well, so it wasn't it wasn't on Disney Channel. It was syndicated throughout the country, so you can see it on regular television. You didn't have to have the Disney Channel to watch all of these things. It was uh, Rescue Rangers, Darkwing Duck, Ducktales, and you know, um, Tailspin. Those were th that was the Disney afternoon. That's right. That yeah. is right. And uh, yeah, we're not gonna. We're not going to spoil it, but I, it reminded me too of the old Muppet movies where the Muppets interacted with humans. Like that was just normal. It was. And the fact that Chip and Dale are scale, our scale is really funny too. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it was really well, I think it was really well done. And Max, here's, here's the thing about what Mr. Foise had a problem. And if you were like this, get over it because he wanted another episode of Rescue Rangers. He wanted to see uh, the original Rescue Rangers. He wanted Chip and Dale, and he wanted Monterey Jack, and he wanted Gadget to do their stuff, and Zipper. But since Zipper's an actor, Zipper has a voice in this, because Zipper on this TV show didn't say anything. And the voice of Zipper is fantastic. That's another great joke that is in this movie. And this, and we were talking about length earlier. This movie is only an hour and a half plus. So it's cute and it's short and it's funny. And I liked it more than I thought it would. And I watched it with people who work at Disney. And they enjoyed it very much too. So Well, I told your friends about it beforehand. And they said, oh, we'll watch it with Carl. And I said, yeah, you're just going to love it. Because, but the Disney characters that are used are are just genius, and the whole the whole thing it just 
I just can't believe how uh, how this just snuck up on us. Yeah. And now I I said I was oh gonna... I was so not looking forward to watching this because I thought it was going to be awful and it was not. So no no surprise and uh, I do have um, well if we want to go to Obi Wan Kenobi I did watch the first two episodes. You did. And... I hear it's. I hear you enjoyed it. I did. First of all, I'm a big fan of Ewan McGregor. So him right. back in Obi-Wan Kenobi. But the supporting cast is really surprising, including Kumal Najani and Benny Saab and Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. This is very interesting. They, they have not been uh, spoiled to me as of yet. No, and I won't I won't tell you what they do, but. <laughs> the 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 biggest bright spot in this is young Princess Leah, who is played by Vivian. Well, now hold on a second. You shouldn't be saying that because that is that is very spoilery. That no one even knew that she was in it. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When you sent that text to me today, I'm like, you just said the princess, and now I know which princess. They you shouldn't tell people that because that is not that has not been said anything. Now I will ask you. In the first two episodes, do you see any uh, Hayden Christensen? You do. Okay, that's all I want to know. That's all. That's all you need to say. And I'm yeah. guessing. Go ahead. Uh, I was, I was going to say they to get you up to speed. They do a whole backstory in a couple minutes. They show all is the it, pre. Is it clips from uh, episode three? Yes. Okay. And every yes, so they do that. All right. Including but, Natalie Portman. Okay. Oh, so she's kind of in this thing, you know. Well, it's in the it's in the whole wrap-up in the beginning. Now, you can't skip the intro uh, in successive uh, episodes. There's only six episodes here. So uh, they dropped the thing. We did not get um, um, advanced access to last no. night. No. And, and they, so... They sent it to us, but it's on Disney Plus, and it's going to come right. out every Friday. So I just, yeah, I just assume people because you and I both have Disney Plus, but right. I just that people that don't could watch it. But I was like, I'm watching it on Disney Plus, and so well, um, it, it, it's, it, this is a very interesting Memorial Day weekend. First of all, we want to say we remember all of our fallen heroes for Memorial Day, but if you're not spending time with your family, you can either go to Maverick, you can. Um, stay at home or you can go see the bob's burgers movie did you see that lynn i did not because i've never seen a single episode of the fox animated and, show and that's and that's what uh, jim our buddy jim bat said hey i didn't see it so i didn't get it so my, my family is going to see they want to see top gun they want to see the bob's burgers movie which i love bob's burgers but there's also stranger things this weekend and also obi-wan kenobi so there is so much media going on this weekend uh, in I'm, addition to sports, um, yes, we have to mention that you you get to have uh, one more home game, one more home game for now, and then I'm so excited. Uh, I'm excited as well. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be an exciting play, night. I hope you get to play. Um, fun, 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 fun. That's your song this year, right? Yes, it is our song, and I I really would like there to be fun, fun, fun because game sevens are amazing. But let's yeah, well, let's just start with game six tonight. Yes. And uh I that comeback in the last five minutes, the, the two goals were the first time in 16 years in a playoff. 
Yep. I, I so. was very, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy and I hope to make it all happen. Lynn, have you seen uh, Pumpo the Cinephile? No. You need to see that because it is a love letter to movies. Um, we don't have any more time, but we we can talk about. It. I'll send you the link, and you can we can talk about that next week. Okay, I will be at I Love Movies Trivia Night tonight at Cinema St. Louis, and you're going to be at the Blues game, and the Cardinals are playing. So downtown St. Louis, uh, city of St. Louis, will be jumping, and uh, we do have to give a little shout out to Ray Liotta, who sadly passed yesterday at age 67 and the enormous amount of outpouring for him has been very uh, nice to see and I know, I know everyone talks about goodfellas but I personally love him as shoeless Joe Jackson in Field of Dreams or you could uh, so last night at the baseball game they had uh, what's your favorite Ray, Ray Liotta movie and they had four choices up there uh, number one, of course, was Field of Dreams because it was at the baseball game. That was followed by Goodfellas, followed by B-Movie, and then with 0% of the vote, Blow, because I guess uh, they weren't fans of the cocaine at the baseball games. No, but in recent years, he's been very menacing. You know, he was in yeah. The Many Saints of Newark as an abusive guy. He well, was but he, he did dual roles in that. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that. And then also in uh, the uh, Steven Soderbergh HBO movie. Um, I just forget. No small moves. Uh, the, was that what was the one he did with uh, Jennifer Lopez? Oh, that was a TV show. Uh, oh, it was a police drama. They were like crook he was like a crooked cop. Oh, go Shades, figure. Shades of Blue. Yeah. And, and, then, uh, and, and yeah, and he are won you thinking it. about the pace, the place beyond the pines. No, or he won an Emmy. Didn't he win an Emmy for ER? He played an yes. alcoholic. Dad. Yeah, he, he was on ER. And that's how he won his Emmy. Yeah, but he and I predict- love him in Copland. Copland was on yesterday. And that was before I even knew that he was on. I'm like, oh, I, I haven't seen Copland in a long time. And a lot of people love unlawful entry. Ah, that is such a weird movie. I know. So he went back and forth between the menacing villain type roles and then then a conflicted guy. But he had a really long career. And it's just sad, you know, to see somebody young, 67. Yep. So, Carl, enjoy your weekend. I'm uh, going to. You too. Yes. Who can't? Uh, who can't uh, what did I just try to say? Who can't matata? And um, a few went, well, I have theater next week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Dang. Yeah. It is the start of the summer theater season. Yes, but it is. I will never take live theater uh, uh, for granted ever again. Nor Hakuna Matata, the- Lynn. Yeah. Hakuna Matata. Why couldn't I say that? I don't know. Everyone have a great weekend. Uh, Remember the reason that you're off on Monday. It's Memorial Day. Share some memories and remember the fallen. Yes. Thank you for your cost to freedom. Bye. Bye.